This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Seeking Profit. I am Andrew, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend Emil. How's it going, man? And I have to ask, because you live in California, did it snow by you? (laughs) Uh, It didn't snow. We got a little bit of hail where we're at, but all the mountains surrounding Los Angeles, I don't even know if you can consider mountains, they're more like large hills, they're covered in snow. Like, they're all snow-capped. It's amazing, like, driving down the freeway and seeing it's beautiful. I heard, like snow happened and because no one in california has any idea what to do like the entire state just like closed (laughs) it's more like everyone just took out their phones took video uploaded it to twitter and they're like oh my god it's snow what are we going to do and then like socal storm is hashtag socal storm is trending it's ridiculous so i want to jump right into it because today we have our first guest popping the cherry baby That's right. You may know him as Jamie IF on Twitter. He's kind of a big deal. Uh, He's also on the Lasso team now. Um, Jamie uh, has built an enormous affiliate marketing business on his own, a large site portfolio, larger than I have uh, the the confidence to build. Um, And he just has a lot of experience in marketing in general. So welcome to the show, Jamie. And I'm just curious, where does the IF come from? Because I know it's not the initials for your last name. I know Look. you know my you know me. You know my government name. Scary stuff. <laughs> no, I so it's big shoes to come in and be the first guest. I didn't realize that. So thank you for putting me on this. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> the IF, um, I graduated from uni. I was twenty two. This is in two thousand nineteen. And I wanted to start a a non-profit but it's like a pseudo non-profit as in like the business can make money but you just can't give it to yourself so they can be what they call a social enterprise and I wanted at the time um I'd got some experience in my like internship here at uni after uh, coming back from Paris for the first half where I learned what SEO was and I wanted to make a company that sold soup in particular to feed soup kitchens and for everyone we sold we gave one to a person in need the initials of that company were IF and basically was broke, ran out of money, but I'm holding myself to the accountability that like emblazoned and tattooed on my public pseudonym so that I'll, like, when, I, when I get my money right, I will get back to it and I will do it. And if I don't, you can all make fun of me because I lied to you all. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I, I love that so much. Um, there's like almost no one that exists that care, cares about other people. So it's just like really refreshing to to hear that. Right. We had a market stall and it had a huge logo, literally four by eight foot. The logo, the brand, the IF at the market stall on Sundays, about one in 10 people noticed it in red. And that's what I got the key marketing insight of like, no one notices anything. Like you have to put this stuff in front of people. They have to be like tripping over it on the sidewalk. <laughs> As a marketer, you think everyone has read your a million times and you, you're like, oh, I can't write this again or say this again. It's like no one's actually paying attention. 
So before we started, you, you know, we're like, oh, we want to know like all of your salacious numbers. And last year you said that you earned over $400,000. But before we get to the really, really good stuff, how did you get started in this weird, weird world that we're in? Sure. So the second half of my year in industry, like the third year in a four year degree, uh, was in a company where I learned about food and soup and stuff. But the first half was in Paris in a publishing company that wrote like online, they did new stuff. And they honestly didn't know what like SEO was, but they sort of just fell into riches because they had historical like DR from just being around and doing new stuff and all the people loved them. Like the, like, you know, the thing that we'd love to all fall into. And so I kind of discovered with them because they were like, how do we have these pages that aren't the homepage to get more page views than the homepage? Because surely you go from the homepage to the pages within like, the, the, so apparently you can go directly to those. And that was like a light bulb moment from this very out of touch legacy publisher. And so I got kind of obsessed with that because I'd been interested in just getting traffic. I'd launched a streetwear label when I was like 17 to selling clothes and like hoodies and stuff. And it didn't do well. Like we had a bunch of Instagram followers, but no one bought anything because Instagram, it might work if you're better at branding than I was then, but no sales. And I love the idea of being able to get organic stuff. And I got obsessed with it from there. And then sort of started the first site writing stuff when I picked a niche from there. And it kind of progressed from there. It was a cool thing. It was a way to make money. I wanted to get the money at the time because of the IF project. And it was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write alone in my dark room <laughs> for like years <laughs> and hopefully it'll do well. And it, it worked out in the end. I think online business owners only work in dark rooms. Like, I think it's a prerequisite. During the daylight, you know, we're, we're doing other things. We work in the dark of night. Especially Andrew. Andrew, you're always like, I just like to go into my room at night where no one's around and just code. Like that is my favorite thing <laughs> to do. It's my dream. <laughs> uh, Jamie, how many things did you do before you started the online business thing? And I ask because I feel like a lot of like, entrepreneurs they, they've just been like trying it and trying it their whole life and then eventually one of their weird ideas stuck and they just kind of like went with it i mean that's kind of what happened i didn't have like a lot of projects but they all failed before or at least i failed in them like uh like one of the other ones apart from the streetwear label and uh like what well, the attempt to the social enterprises uh like 18 months ago when I was running the sites and making a full-time income, I joined as a co-founder and to head up marketing on what is quite a decently well-known startup now. It's uh, got funding in that called boot.dev, which is like a back-end computer science learning platform, kind of like Code Academy, but more specifically around like Golang, Python, and sort of back-end learning and data and stuff like that. Um, but it was another test in like projects and learning. And because Whereas now with affiliate marketing, I feel like I know the customer inside out. But then, like, I'm not naturally a coder, so I was missing things. There was misalignments there. But from all of these sort of, like, not quites, you still take so much from it. And I, like, you'll never, like, get that kind of insight unless you're, like, taking actions. If you do, it doesn't go well. So it led to here, and I'm happy about it. I have a super random question. Jamie, why do so many good SEOs come out of the UK? I feel like so many of the top people on Twitter are are from the UK. I mean, there's like Luke Jordan, there's Ryan Durrani, niche site lady. I think she's out of the UK. You obviously like, why, why does this happen? <laughs> I think there's a lot of niche site people. I think there's a lot of in-house people or the agency, well-known speakers in the US. Um, I was reading the responses that some of them gave on Twitter when we did this. And some of the interesting ones that make sense to me is that 
you just don't get the same kind of salary in the UK, but you can hit the US market just as easy because we can all write in American English. I, I think I do it more than British now just from how I'm used to doing it. And so yeah. it's easy to hit the American market on a niche site and advertise. And there's a lower threshold to make job replacement income just because we get paid so much less in the US. Obviously, there's things like uh, NHS care and like whatever rather than private that probably makes it like a 5 to 10% different like economic factor but i reckon it's just easier to replace your seo in-house terrible like like 25 grand a year starting which is like 28 dollars that americans wouldn't even get out of bed for but like is normal in the uk and so you can start a new site making it a lot less and have the freedom of financial time and you know financial freedom from there so i would assume it's just the fact that like we need less to go pro <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i was shocked when i when i see like job postings in the UK, you're right. It's like a senior SEO manager and it's 30K. I'm like, how, how? And yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously you guys have way better healthcare uh, and all that, but still, I, th I think that is the normal reason. If you have any skill, it's like your ceiling is so low working in house versus you go out on your own, you know, the world's your oyster. So I know you have two core sites that, that you've kind of grown um, that, that represent most of your, your income. How long were you working on them until you hit, you know, 400K ish last year? Well, I first made job replacement income, which was £3,500 in the month or like probably $4,000. It's probably more then because the exchange rates have declined. That was in March 2020, the month that the thing hit. Uh, <laughs> and then in April, Amazon half their rates and it was right back down again and then it climbed from there. So it took until 2020 to like first make like enough where like I mean I didn't have a job I was living at home and that was another like privileged thing right I could work on it all the time because I didn't have the financial pressures so I How had a lot of advantages. How long was that to 2020? I registered the first domain in 2018 but I was And you started university. working on it then? So like about two years? Very on and off I graduated from uni in mid 2019 with maybe 40 posts and getting 4,000 page views a month. So it was far from monetizable and far from ready. And I also wasn't good at SEO. And then I started taking it seriously in the latter half of 2019. And then it was about eight months to ramp it up to that level. And then another, you know, a couple of years later, now it's at the level it's at. So we're talking like four to five years to get to 400K. Yeah. Working full time or almost full time for over three years. Do you remember what the numbers were like year one, two, three, and then obviously last year, 450K, but what, what were they, what was the progression? I'm always interested in like the step ladder function of growing a site. Sure. In the end of 2020, I will go off like December every time because it's usually like a peak month. I think it was 8,000 in 2020, then in 2021, it was 36 and then in December 2022, it was 81,000. So like jumps each time so far. It's insane. It, it's crazy how it compounds like that. It's wild. So I, I feel like my, my niches almost picked me. Like I just kind of like went with the things that, that I went with. Um, but I'm, I'm endlessly curious about this, this conversation of, of picking your topics. So you, you picked topics, which happened to be really great topics. How did you choose them? Were you like looking for like, hey, like I can make money here or was it like a hobby? Did someone on Twitter tell you to do it? 
<laughs> I wish. It would have made it a lot easier. No, I, um, I had an interest in the original topic. I had no idea if you could make money from it. I didn't even know what affiliate marketing was. I just knew that like Google AdSense existed and it might be like a 150 quid a month, like beer money, right, for your passion sort of thing. Then, obviously, it turned out that I've been very lucky and I've picked a better than average niche that would not support this kind of revenue for like how relatively low the traffic is in many other niches. From there, I had much more education on picking niches, you know, with not zero information to make a more educated guess. And I've been lucky again in that some of like at least one of the other ones, two or three now, it's looking like as they mature, have also been good niches that support like good levels of affiliate products, higher ticket, good conversion rates, as long as you can appeal to hobbyists. And uh, yeah, just generally like, I can't overstate how like lucky I've been in that if I picked a worse niche, I could have done everything right in the same way and be making less than a third of the amount. It really is crucial. So what is that, the site that you make 81K with in December, how much, how many page views did that require? So the largest one did 44 of that. Um, so it wasn't the entirety of, of that number. Um, 44,000 page views, $44,000 of the $81,000 okay, was from okay. the main site. So it's got not, it, it. it's not all from, from, from that one site. It was in the region of 275,000 to 300,000 pages in December, but that seasonality boosted as well. The usual will be low 200,000. So I, I think that brings out something interesting because I feel like you can get to 100, maybe even 200K a year through a niche and, and like not giving up and just kind of like getting at it. But I feel like a lot of the gains above like say like 150, especially to like 400 comes with like super refining the things you're creating, like really understanding what's working, why, and like going deep on it. One example of and that comes to mind for you is your spear framework. Could you kind of explain maybe the, the things you think, why you were able to go from 150 to say 450? Sure. So the spear framework means S is the, like search intent or user intent as well. Uh, P is the pain point. E is expertise. A is audience, which is broadly similar to search intent with a few caveats that, that add context to it and differentiates them. And the R is rapport. So if we're just going to run through it from, from chronologically, uh, the S is like you, as soon as they get onto the page, both for the search intent for Google side and for the user intent on the user side, they need to know like the, the, their internal monologue needs to be, okay, I'm in the right place. Right. This is going to sort me out. So you need to give them confidence that this is like what's going to sort their problem and solve their needs instantly. So what can you do to like make them feel like they're in the right place? If it's like a best vacuums for kitchens, make sure that there's like not just like a vacuum related thing, but a vacuum for kitchen related like lexicon in there. And if anything else you can do there, like you're probably gutted with that horrible like you know that's just an abstract thing but like anything you can do to make sure that there's anything else that you can bring in there is important and leads directly to the p which is the pain points so i I, the example i use comes from prospect theory but just generally and how i've weaponized content to convert well if you can weigh up the negative effects of losing out on something rather than the positives of gaining it you can be more powerful in a lot of scenarios so instead of trying to sell someone a vacuum cleaner for their kitchen that you can like clean up five times quicker which is basic and you'd still want to add visuals onto there and tell the story 
it's much easier to talk about the embarrassment of your friends or your like family stopping it unannounced than just like the mud laden floorboards. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. think that you live terribly. <laughs> like, They're even, asking you if you're okay. <laughs> yeah, like even Andrew and I, dude. Like I, I vacuum my my kitchen like every day because my kids eat so many snacks and like I feel it on my feet, like just crumbs and stuff. Like that's my pain for like vacuuming my kitchen. We literally obsessively clean, and we have rodents. So, <laughs> I would be a perfect case study for this va- best vacuums. Uh, <laughs> don't be like him. <laughs> but yeah, so like, um, generally, if you can tell a story and make like the what you want to avoid, I think a lot of people take action to avoid embarrassment, shame, and things more than they do to like look great. And there's a different, well, different products do different things better, right? So different psychological makeup, but generally for more functional stuff, that's going to be a powerful way to go down. If you can get that instantly, then you can hook people in, especially when pain points done well, take the position of like really strong visual imagery and storytelling. And if you can get someone to think like visually and imagine and daydream about something's going on, they're stuck to the page and they'll never leave. The E is expertise. And this is a cool one for Google and for people. And especially if you're doing high ticket, people don't just want to like see a blank profile picture, no author bio, clearly AI. <laughs> like <laughs> this person does not exist, does not exist avatar. Um, and you can do this with, that, that's obviously one element, but within the intros, you can sort it by, the important thing is to show and not tell. If you have to go, ah, um, I've got 15 years and I really do this and you should all listen to me. It's going to sound insecure and it's going to just annoy people. But if you can infer it, you know, during my 15 years of academic study, I spent a lot of time specializing on acne treatment. And so I feel really confident in my ability to tell you about the best skincare for acne. Uh, or it's like just even during my 20 product reviews, if you can't say anything else, there are ways to get around it. Like if you don't actually have expertise and you don't want to lie, which I recommend you don't lie, by the way, but it's pretty prevalent online. You can use good, good stats that are third. <laughs> like you can use stats as, like to support, I call it SAS, stats of support. So, you know, just quoting the size of the hearing aid market and how it's growing by 20% and how one in five Americans have trouble hearing. And so there, you know, it's only growing as the pay, like the, the percentage of people over 65 increases from 27% to 28% over the next decade. Those are all things that don't actually mean you know anything. It just means you know how to Google or use ChatGPT. But people attach third-party trust to it, and so you can use those if you can't. Generally also, and this now with how Google's updated its algorithm to favor bottom line up front so much, we've mostly moved this next part into the product reviews themselves rather than the intro, but just the precision and that if you really are an expert, you can really tell the specifics of why something's good. This vacuum is good because the fourth cylinder in the Y axis is better. You know what? I don't know what a vacuum does or anything, but you know, we can give really like like in-depth, precise value judgments that you can only know by really being there. That's what separates you. Like if you're being interrogated and like you've done the crime and they go, All right, where were you? What did you do? Who were you with? If you were there, like, you can't be precise. You don't know what you're doing. Any any information you give is a risk of being wrong because it's disprovable. And so you have to be vague. And so product reviewers who with stuff that they haven't tend, tested intensely will be vague because it's safe and the like misinformation chances are lower. But if you really know your stuff and you have expertise, you can be really precise. And so I encourage really precise value judgment to it possible. But now we're moving those away from the intro. The A is audience. It's very similar to search intent. But beyond just like the search intent and showing people this is the right place for me, 
you also want to go and answer like who is the types of segments of people that are coming onto this page? Do they have money? Are they looking for the cheapest? Are they professionals? Are they more experienced? Are they beginners? Are they Windows users? Are they Mac users? And then there's likely multiple segments, which informs how you, how many articles, sorry, not articles, how many products you compare, because you shouldn't have more products that you compare than there are segments because you won't convert as well and you'll confuse people. But, and, and asking those questions allows you to craft copy that is exactly for those types of people. How much money do they have? What kind of, you know, any psychographics or demographics? And that's different from search intent because you can tell someone they're in the right place without curating it to a demographic, but you can go deeper with the A. And the R is just to be likable. R is rapport. You can, uh, I tell my team to write as if they are a friendly, comfortable expert, like, you're just not getting out of second gear, but you're comfortable. This is what you do every day. You're just such an expert that you just comfortably grind through it. You don't have to prove anything. You just know your stuff. Friendly, comfortable expert. Because especially in high ticket, people want to feel like there's a a mutual exchange. It's not, they don't have, people don't want to feel like a product in a funnel, like they're being sold to like, and now if you go here, I might be able to flog them a two grand sauna. No, they want to feel like being part of the, <laughs> they want to feel like they're walking down the showroom, like the showroom with you having a good bit of banter, having a coffee, talking about the stuff and like enjoy it. They would like, there's a parasocial relationship element to affiliate content, especially good quality affiliate content. So you want to be likable, especially important in high ticket. I'm glad you went there. Um, because one of the things that really struck me about your site and with the last one, we get to see a lot of affiliate sites, but what's really striking about yours is that your sites are so comprehensive there are a, a lot of like well-placed reviews on products, but there's so much outside of those reviews, almost even bordering on news in some cases. And I, I find that fascinating. Um, I think it makes a ton of sense, but I'm curious why you did it because I feel like it's maybe something that's more obvious later stage site building, but you clearly did it kind of beginning to end so the the lengths that some of our affiliate best xyz posts have got to mostly is obviously dependent on competition but also just i've found that optimizing content to be so much better in terms of roi than writing new stuff and you know having stuff degrade and even now with our focus on that we're losing traffic because we're degrading faster than we fix it but from our focus on the high potential articles and optimizing them every six months for three years, naturally, just in searching for different ways to differentiate content, we've ended up writing more things, which is like the things to consider, which I now consider like an essential for any good piece of affiliate content if it's the best vacuums for kitchens. So many people, even if they do include these, which is probably less than 20% of affiliate content do, they'll write things like speed. If your vacuum's fast, it's better. And there won't even be anything related directly to kitchens. It's irrelevant. It's just generic. You copy and paste it into any vacuum article and it would work. It shouldn't. It should be so tightly tailored to the topic at hand that it massively boosts your relevant score and boosts conversions. People don't think about this sort of front. So if someone's got to the end of your product reason bought, you haven't sorted them out enough to make a confident conversion. And so if you were going to do speed in a vacuum for kitchens, you wouldn't just write speed. You talk about how speed specifically applies to making your life easier when you use kitchens. And then another thing I recommend doing is uh, you should already have like rounded up the key specs and hopefully there's a speed metric to vacuums. Let's assume for the purpose of this that there is. 
you can paste your entire article draft into ChatGPT. Say, make a table based on this information and the speed for each one. It will create you a speed table at the bottom comparing all the products on your list. And then you can write at the bottom. And this is where you'll make a bunch of conversions based on if you prefer speed, we recommend XYZ because it's the fastest. And then you can tailor to each retarget to each segment with the specific factors. Speed is probably not relevant for this article, but any niche site owner will know what the, and should know what the relevant specs are for those ones. I've written about dynamic spec relativity for different articles. If you, anyone wants to read that to learn more about how to find the most important things that triggers actions and stuff. Um, and then underneath that, you just have the lasso block and you convert for days. Damn right. I'm actually really curious about that. You can just take the whole article, throw it in chat GBT, ask it to create a table based on like one, what you, you mentioned speed, whatever that metric is for you. And it'll just create a table. If you've got like bullet points at the top for the four main specs of each thing, speed, yeah. price, right, capacity, and you paste it in and that's in separate bullet points underneath a heading for that product. And you go to chat GBT add for each product the name and the speed compared in a table it will i've never had it fail to do that it can discern it that's so cool <laughs> something that i found really interesting is that you're considering these second order effects to the purchase that you know there's like the vacuum in this example but there's obviously other things maybe even outside of the physical vacuum you're, vacuum you're going to buy that matter um Without, again, like giving up your niche, the core products that you talk about in your site, there are other components that you can buy. And I didn't even realize that discussing them, sometimes in purchasing decisions I've made for other things in my life, the decision on the second order thing, I'm deciding between two, but I want the second order thing, which makes the decision on the main purchase easier. Um, and you've interlinked those really well. D you thought of that in advance or just kind of happened and you assembled it and it was just wonderful after the fact? <laughs> uh, I doubt that we did it first time around on the first draft in 2019, but just in trying to make the content as high conversing as possible, I think you naturally converge on anything that could affect the buying decision and trigger a response or trigger like in trying to give the customer the best experience, what makes their decision, what gives them the most clarity for that decision. And so if you're doing a laptop, and uh, let's assume for the purpose of this that you can buy a kit that expands the size of your laptop screen. And so if you're arming and ahhing between two different products and they're around the same price and they're both a 13-inch laptop screen, let's say that like in discussing laptop size in there, you also give them the information that there's, you know, this MacBook has a $200 addition that means that you can upgrade it to a 17-inch thing. That might mean that that changes their buying decision, triggers them to take action. They buy the kit and the thing, you get credited for both, which is a useful thing because that might be a, a relevant thing that people are worried about. And so giving people information, and there's obviously upsells in that. There might be complementary gear and whatever beyond that. You might talk about the charging time being quicker on one laptop than another. And you can even half that if you buy the super expensive whatever charger that's something else, which is good value and may increase your average order value. So there's there's, there's synergies in there, if you like, which is the end goal of affiliate content. That should be what passes product reviews. It hasn't in this case. We've still been here, but that should in theory be helpful enough to to get people to both convert well, convert for higher price things, and see your rankings ascend over time. You've been auditing getlasso.co and looking at the things that we put time into and, and why and 
Um, something that you've been mentioning a lot um, that I didn't really thought of, but I find really interesting is cannibalization. Um, and so the thought being, or, or where I was thinking is if you're writing this article over here and you're writing another one that is similar, you're perhaps like building the wheel around your spoke. And so you're being more comprehensive, but you've looked at our content and you've deduce that our content is competing with itself. Can you explain um, what this means, what you look for and why you would come to a conclusion like that? Sure. So in this particular set of four or five examples, I think when the content was first written, there were two divergent search intents, but over time Google can change. And as soon as it converges, now we have a cannibalization problem because we have two articles targeting the search intent for one thing, even if they cover two different topics which is interesting. Um, you can tell by, in some cases, you'll never get on the first page or I've never seen it. Or if you do, you'll be eighth or ninth. But the biggest thing that I've told from, I've been able to tell from my previous sites is when you rank 11th and 12th, Google knows that one, wants to rank one of them, but it won't put one of them on the first page or one of them used to rank high. And now both of them aren't going there because Google's confused and is hesitant to trust you with any high rankings. But in like in now in strange cases, it happened after uh, one of the core updates back in October. We had one of our competitors that had randomly started taking the positions one and three for a lot of things. That's gone away now, and so if you see two on the first page or like on the top of the second, it's a key sign of cannibalization. Or if you just have similar content with similar URLs that isn't sufficiently differentiated in the H twos and beyond, that can be a sign of cannibalization. It, it all makes itself clear based on the keywords it did or did used to rank for in Google Search Console as well. So say you have two articles, say you've spent, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars assembling each of them in terms of time and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you've determined that they're cannibalizing each other. What do you do? Um, most of the ones from the audit I did a couple of weeks ago on Lasso are a case of collate, redirect to the one that is most likely to win. Give up on a shoulder term if it means like actually ranking for the main one that's going to deliver ROI because it's just, we're poking the bear. In some cases with these, because some of them got off topic you and other site owners might have the same issue. Um, often there might be six, 700 words that can form the spoke of a new article that might be 1500 words when it's written as a standalone one that can be its own one that you can peel off and be slightly different to a different search intent that isn't going to cause cannibalization issues. So it's not like you just have to bin half of it. Lots of the time they can become one more comprehensive, cohesive article. And if there is any direct repetition, then you just get rid of that and make it more concise. And sometimes bits of that can fall off and become their own different article and piece of real estate that's the supplements you know, an internal links and helps boost the entire mini cluster that you've got there. So, uh, it's no secret that, um, we've stolen you onto <laughs> <laughs> the lasso team. I was, I was very excited for a few comments like what a good get, or, you know, like high five, Andrew, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, in our discussions, it makes so much sense for both of us and, and all the things that will not be publicly discussed. I'm curious why you want to leave your business, which is well, not like leave your business, you're still going to be doing it, but why you want to redirect your time from what is a wildly successful business 
into something else. Are I you love crazy? <laughs> yes, and also the the following <laughs> points. Uh, so you know, I love writing. I love editing. I love psychology and I love dueling, but collaboratively with people, which I love doing in the content. I love taking people through and trying to create new ways of like building rapport and converting and like the internet, like introverted version of sales, which is all fun and games, right? But it's two dimensional and I love doing it, but it's not multifaceted in the it's content. Like there's a lot of fun, mini sub facets and subclusters within it. But to do a wider range of things and to be part of something wider and larger and more three-dimensional is just such an awesome opportunity, especially when it comes within affiliate marketing, when it comes with such a talented team. I'm so glad to have, since me and you, Andrew, having met the awesome people that help make Lasso as powerful and loved as it is every day. And being able to work and do stuff within what I love still and still getting to do what I love with affiliate marketing and the psychology, but also be an, in contact with more and more of our larger customers who are effective affiliates that know much more than I do. Talk with them, synergize with them, help them. It's such a nice thing to be able to help people get to new heights. And I think that's such a nice feeling that you don't like, you get, you know, the immediate benefits in money for yourself, but it's not like it's fulfilling, but it's so nice to help other people, uh, be the best version of themselves financially and otherwise. And so that whole myriad of things is just like, I'm so excited. I'm really excited for, for how we're going to, how we're already doing stuff and how we're going to continue to deliver groundbreaking things and change affiliate marketing. And that's, that's mostly my, my thought process on it. How did the, how did the conversation even start out? Like, how did you guys even start this conversation of, Hey, would you potentially want to come join Lasso? Uh, Andrew sent me a topless selfie in the DMs and I was like, all right, what's happening now? <laughs> Dude, he's, he's done that to me too. He tried that and I was just like, Andrew, no, I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> not again. <laughs> no, and, and that would be correct again and again. It's like, Andrew, stop. <laughs> Everyone on Twitter is going to be like, Dude, he did that to me too. What the hell? <laughs> I'm, I, Jamie, I'm thrilled to have you on the team. Uh, and I just want to say, I deeply resonate with that mindset, um, back in the day before kids, when I had time to like do fun things, uh, for some reason I played MMORPGs, uh, like world of nice. Warcraft, not even runescape. Oh, no, no, I never, I never played. I think I like aged out of that. Like, um, oh. world of Warcraft had like game time as a command. And I think when I learned, like I had spent like 60, like actual human days total, like of hours playing, I was like, something's got to change. <laughs> but in these games, I used to play as a priest because I just kind of like love helping and being a support character. And I think it's one of the things that, that pulls me towards you is you're really good at what you do, but you're just like lifting people up. Um, so thank you for coming on. If anyone wants to ask you questions about the spear framework, how you build things, what your favorite ice cream flavor is, where can they find you? For sure. And feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions on affiliate marketing or if you're, you've read about Lasso and you're curious for what it can do for you. More than happy to answer any DMs or emails from there. You can contact me on Twitter. It's Jamie, J-A-M-I-E underscore I-F. I'm also around. You can read the stuff that I put out every now and then on increasing.com. And um, that's about it. <laughs> well, dude, thanks again for coming on. Um, and Emil, I'll see you in the next episode, man. 
See you, dude. Thanks for coming on, Jamie. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're seeking profit.